Happy Sabbath again, church family. We are continuing in our series on apologetics. We're getting into some heavy subject matter, so I ask you to pray for me. Um, I'll say again, these are not easy sermons to do, um, not to prepare for nor to deliver, because you understand um, these are often very touchy subjects. Um, but in the book of Ezekiel, we are instructed to cry aloud and spare not. There is a call on the Christian to not just preach in such a way that it um, pleases people, but that we must also speak words of truth um, that are heavier and are not always as easy. So I do ask for prayer because our goal here is to find out what God wants from us and be better servants. And then, as we talked about last time I, I spoke, be better instruments in delivering these truths uh, to the world. Amen? Our scripture reading was read wonderfully today from the book of Revelation, the 13th chapter. We'll start with verse 16. Revelation chapter 13, reading verses 16 through 18. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him that, understand, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is six hundred, three score, and six. A message this Sabbath is entitled, The Sunday Law, The Mark of the Beast. Sunday Law and the Mark of the Beast. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Lord, I am unworthy of the task before me. But I ask, Lord, for an extra outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Send him here, Lord, and guide us into truth. Lord, now once again, I ask that you just make me a nail on the wall, a rusty, sorry nail, Lord. But upon that nail, Lord, I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let Eric Walsh not be seen or heard. Instead, Father, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. It's our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. As we begin on this um, message and we look at what we're about to discuss, we understand that this is one of the great questions. Christians have been pondering the verses we're going to go over today for 2,000 years. Great, great questions about what they mean. And we are fortunate to live in a time when God has revealed so much to us. And so, we're going to go to the book of Revelation chapter 13. We're going to start back at verse 1, and we are going to go through and reiterate some things we've talked about already, add some things, uh, as we move really heavily to current events towards the end of the message. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1 says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up, uh, rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. 
and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Now, as we look at these verses, you understand from the first verse here in Revelation chapter 13, that John is in vision. He sees himself standing on the sand of the sea, so he's on a beach. As he looks out towards the water, a, a beast rises up. And we know, um, as we'll show, that beasts in, the, in prophecy represents kingdoms or nations. A beast rises up out of the sea. The sea, if we were to go deep into the, into, uh, uh, the iterations of this, the sea represents a place of many people. So there's a beast that rises up out of the sea, a, a kingdom, a nation, a, a political power that comes up where there are a lot of people. It has seven heads and ten horns, and upon his and upon his head heads the name of blasphemy. And from this, you can actually begin to say who this is, but we'll kind of go through this more. In verse two, it begins to describe this beast in more detail. And it uses the imagery from Daniel chapter 7. The beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. So the beast, when you looked at it, looked like a leopard. Uh, but his feet were like the feet of a bear. Um, and his mouth, the mouth of a lion. And so when you put it together, there are three parts to this beast, all of which we can go back to Daniel chapter 7 and see. And the dragon, and who is the dragon? We talked about this last time. The dragon is Satan himself. But the dragon is also, um, at times, a metaphor for pagan Rome. The dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And so the first beast of Daniel chapter 7 and verse 4 is a lion. This is the, the description of the kingdom of Babylon. I don't have time to go through all of it. I will say that one of the interesting things is that as Daniel, as I'm sorry, as John the Revelator stands on the sea looking out, he describes the beast backwards as if he was looking from a time past when they existed. So he mentions Babylon last and Greece first, which tells you that this is also a, a time-based prophecy that we're heading into. So this is the first one, and this is Babylon. You remember Nebuchadnezzar and the time Daniel spent with them. In fact, if I was going to give, if I had time to do a Bible story like I normally would, the Bible story that equates with this message is that of Daniel and the time he's cast into the lion's den. Because it speaks to the fact that laws will be passed that are going to infringe upon religious freedom. Now, so that's the first beast. That's Babylon. The second one, in Daniel 7 and verse 5, describes the Medo-Persian Empire. Maybe the reason that this beast in Revelation chapter 13 has the feet of a bear is because one of the things the, the, the Medo-Persian Empire was known for was partially its speed, but its, its stability. Um, the way that they, they governed was was very powerful. And so the, it gets the paws and the feet of a bear, although it looks like a leopard. And of course, the, the third beast is represents the, 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 the empire of Greece. And that's why in Daniel 7 and verse 6, it talks about having four heads. Remember that when Greece, when Alexander the Great um, died, four generals took over. And that was part of the problem for um uh, the, the longevity of the empire of Greece. It did not last or do well after he died. And it moved fast. That's why it's a leopard with wings. All fits. In fact, if I had the time, I could show you 
that in Babylon, the symbol for Babylon was a winged lion, that, um, you know, the symbolism for Medo-Persia matches, the symbolism for, for Greece matches. It, it matches all the way through. There's, there's powerful ties. And as a Seventh-day Adventist, I've said this before, as we talk about apologetics, you're not asked to believe in a vacuum. Let me say that again. You're not asked to believe in a vacuum. When you study prophecy, it allows you to hang your belief on something tangible. When you overlay history with Bible prophecy, and we remember we talked about the Dead Sea Scrolls and how old the Dead Sea Scrolls are, and you know the book of Daniel being um, uh, old and the book of Isaiah being found before the birth of Jesus, so that when you read these prophecies, you understand that the Bible is a book you can trust. So when we study this, we don't just study it just to, just to kind of play around with it, but it, is, should, it should encourage our faith in the Lord and in the word of God. The fourth beast was pagan Rome. In Daniel chapter 7, it, um, you can tell the connection to the, the beast we're talking about now because it had ten horns as well. You can see all of the different beasts there on one picture. But the political pagan Rome gave way to papal Rome. And this is the beast that we begin to that begins to be described in Revelation chapter 13. And you can see that if you look at Daniel chapter 7, you can see that the beast of Revelation 13 takes bits and pieces from each one of them. The ten horns tying it back to Rome um, and all of the other symbolism that you can see. What comes out of pagan Rome? What is birthed takes bits and pieces from all of those other empires. It is an amalgamation, and it uses in many ways some of the sharper points of those empires in order to do its bidding and to grow as a power. Here's what the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary says. Though primarily representing Satan, the dragon, in a secondary sense, represents the Roman Empire. See on chapter 12, 3, and you remember we talked about chapter 12 the last time, the power succeeding the Roman Empire, which received from the dragon his power, which uh, his power and his seat and great authority, is clearly papal Rome. Out of the ruins of political Rome arose the great moral empire in the giant form of the Roman Church, and that is from A.C. Flick, The Rise of the Medieval Church, uh, circa 1900, page 150. This identification is confirmed in the specifications enumerated. In the following verses, behind this activity was Satan. Now look at this, seeking to exterminate the church. When he found that his efforts to annihilate the followers of Christ through persecution proved unavailing, he altered his tactics and sought to lure the church away from Christ through the establishment of a vast counterfeit religious system. Instead of working directly through paganism, the dragon now worked behind the facade of a professedly Christian organization, hoping thereby to disguise his identity. Revelation 13, verse 3. The story begins to thicken. It says, And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. So something happens to this beast, which we now know as papal Rome. Last time we talked about the 1260 year prophecy. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on that again today. 
But during the time of the Dark Ages, something happened. We talked about the French General Berthier, who proclaimed the political rule of the papacy at an end, took uh, the Pope uh, uh, captive, brought him to France, where the Pope died. It was a deadly wound. After this, they began to take back the Vatican lands, um, and, the, and, the, and the power of the papacy began to crumble. Even Italy was now made um, a republic. It didn't do very well as a republic, but all of a sudden, the republics began to, to pop up around the world, and it, sh and it was the end of the time when the pope was able to directly lean on monarchs to do his bidding around the world. It was a deadly wound, and it didn't happen all at once. It wasn't just that uh, Berthier did this. It, if you really look at history, it starts with the Protestant Reformation. It starts with the, with the fracturing of the church, and it culminates here with this event in 1798. But the government urged Napoleon to destroy the center of unity of the Roman church, and Napoleon did that. And so it isn't just that it was wounded. It's that after that, the wound would be healed, and then what would happen? then all the world would wonder after the beast. I am surprised when I look at um, some of the things that happened. I, I, I mention him all the time, Bill Maher, the, the comedian who was an atheist, he was raised Catholic, and he hates everything to do with God, religion, and Catholicism, the way he talks, even though he does a good job of quoting Jesus when he wants to bash evangelicals for stuff he doesn't agree with. But interestingly enough, he likes the Pope. He's enamored by the Pope. In fact, you'd have a hard time finding someone who is not right now. The Bible says that all the world would wonder after this beast. The, just recently, Augusto Zampini, the director of the Vatican's Development and Faith Commission uh, at the uh, Dicastery of uh, Integral Human Development, announced that on May 25th, 2021, the Vatican will launch, launch the Laudato Sea Action Plan that would create a massive movement of families, parishes, schools and universities, health centers and hospitals, businesses and governments to combat climate change. The world wonders so much that the, that, the, that the Vatican can literally stand in front of people and demand change from governments today and it happens. Now, here's an article, um, The Surprisingly Catholic Roots of the European Union. I've been able to visit the, the headquarters of the European Union at a long layover, and I, I got on a train and went and visited it, and I was surprised to see all of the symbolism as if I was in a Catholic church. So we want to talk about the wound being healed. It was first and most deadly in Europe, yet that has changed. I'll read this quote. Catholic internationalism, this is from that article, Catholic internationalism and suspicion of the nation state go back much further than that. For much of European history, the church's preferred political order was closer to an imperial model, as symbolized in the ideal of Christendom that was built up across the Byzantine and Holy Roman Empires. The church fought the project of national sovereignty, I want you to see this, tooth and nail, this is a Catholic writer saying this, equating it with a loss of Catholic universal, universalism and all of its globalist implications. The 1648 Treaty of Westphalia which birthed the modern idea of sovereignty and the nation state was the, was, the, was the direct result of the Protestant Reformation and the violent breakup of, Catholic, of the Catholic empire that followed. In fact, the loss of the United Kingdom to Brexit almost suggests that the e EU is a contemporary version of the Holy Roman Empire 
that unites Catholic cultures and Christian Democrats across the middle of Europe. Powerful statement on the control. It says that the beast that was wounded, one of its head was wounded, it would be healed, and then all the world would wonder after this beast. And I use these, these secular articles to show you, again, that prophecy can be trusted. Here's from the Guardian um, Journal. Pope Francis electrified, this is from uh, 2015 when he visited Congress. Pope electrifies Congress with speech laying out bold vision for the United States. And look at this. Republicans and Democrats united in praise for Pope, who called on Congress to transcend division and act on climate change, immigration, and poverty. Powerful. So here, you see, there is probably no institution on earth more divided than the United States Congress. Have you ever watched the uh, State of the Union addressed by a president? They take turns standing up and sitting down because none of them, almost nothing will make them all stand up at the same time. But when the Pope visited, unprecedented that the head of a church would speak before Congress. I'm going to show you that this, even presidents like John F. Kennedy, who was a Catholic, would never have signed off on this. Things are changing. That wound that was made is still healing. And in many ways, healing may be stronger than it ever was. From that article, they say, this is what he says in that article. And this is the Pope. I mean, I don't know if you how well you can see this. This is the Pope looking out on a sea of people in Washington, D.C., facing the Masonic pagan symbol of an obelisk, Washington Monument, in the distance. Powerful statement of where we are in prophecy. Here's what it says. America's suspicion of Catholics meant that as recently as 1960, John F. Kennedy had to reassure the United States as its first Catholic president that he would not take orders from Rome. Times change. This is this is the article for, I just showed you. Times change. About one-third of the members of Congress are Catholics. And judging by their rapt attention and rapturous response in, responses to the speech that the Pope gave, even those who are of other faiths or no faith revere the leader of the world's 1.2 billion Catholics. Now, I'm going to show you what John F. Kennedy says and show you that this is a striking prophetic event that happened in 2015. And you can see here, it's not just uh, uh, Congress. This is, as you look across here, leaders of all the different faiths. This is John Paul II, who was, as far as I'm concerned, probably one of the most charismatic popes, um, definitely one of the most effective popes in recent times. And here are all these different religions. You can look across, you see people from all different faiths, and there he is leading them. This is what we call ecumenicalism. It isn't enough that you get the governments to follow, the religions must also follow. And there's a cry for everyone to come back under the mother church, the, the Catholic church, which means the universal church. Now, why does Pope Francis want uh, to make nice with China? So even in communist China, as much as the Pope, when he visited the United States, he talked uh, about how terrible um, you know, it is not to have uh, religious freedom and, 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 you know, all of these different types of things. Somehow he's silent on the religious freedom, the lack of religious freedom in China. And he cut a deal, a secret deal, with a communist government that would allow uh, him to remain the head of the Catholic Church in China, but the communist government would pick the bishops. An interesting connection. So even as 
on some level, Catholics are being uh, tortured in China and, and persecuted. Far more are the Uyghur Muslims, as you all probably have seen in the news, a horrible treatment where they're actually placed on re-education in re-education camps to be retrained to be atheists, which is officially the a religion of, the, of a communist nation. Even more astounding is that as the as Protestants are being persecuted, it's as if the Vatican cut the deal to make sure that Protestantism, Protestantism would be almost defeated in communist China, but Catholicism would thrive in the world's most populous nation. Revelation 13 and verse 3 again. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. This prophecy has been fulfilled. Let me, let, me, let me tell you how deep this prophecy is. There was a time in America, as alluded to earlier, when America, there were anti-Catholic leagues. People did not trust Catholicism, many of whom had fled Europe uh, and the persecution of Europe early on in the history of this country. They did not want Catholicism to rise up here because they equated Catholicism to things like the Spanish Inquisition and other things that happened in Europe. They didn't want it here. It is a fascinating trend now when you look at the, our political right in this country where you see evangelical Protestants have completely joined hands with Catholicism around issues like birth control, um, uh, the death penalty, and even the big one now, abortion. It is a shocking thing to see that these things have come together, that in fact, and in many ways around the globe, there is no longer a Protestant Reformation. In fact, the Pope has declared as such one October 31st. He actually went and joined with the Lutherans and they reconciled and said the Protestant Reformation is over. The Bible says that all the world wondered after the beast. Revelation 13 and verse 4, and they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And this allows you to connect this back to the little horn of Daniel chapter 7. The forty-two months, as we talked about last time, is the 1,260 years a prophecy that we referred to. And I won't go back through this. Someone pointed out to me, they, you know, one of my friends texted me after the last message, he said, you, got, you should point out that this was not, this is not a Seventh-day Adventist uh, prophecy, that there were many Protestants that when they saw Berthier take the Pope captive, they understood that that was the wound and they knew it was tied to the 1260-year prophecy. The problem was they had to start at the end of the prophecy. They went backwards and landed on 538. And to this day, a lot of people say, how do you make sense of that prophecy? It seems as if it dangles on one side because you can say when Berthier did what he did. And so what they look for is a military occurrence in 538 AD to cap the two things. But I read a great article where someone said it was not a military thing. It was a legal thing. It was laws, which is literally what we will be dealing with in the end times. It was laws. We talked about Justinian's code the last time that went into effect in 538 AD and came to an end, in essence, in 1798 AD. It was the fact that these laws were set up that allowed for this time of persecution that the Bible talks about uh, in multiple places in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. Right. And so if we go back here, 
They worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like unto the beast? Who was able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. These blasphemies relate to things like saying that in order to get to Jesus, you've got to go through Mary. Or that in order, or that the priest has the power on earth to forgive sins. That if you sit in a confessional, and what this does is it destroys the understanding of the process of salvation. And let me pause on that for a second. Because it is critical for each one of us as Christians to understand that we must work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. If you think a man can just absolve your sin willy-nilly in a confessional, you never get into the real work of sanctification, of getting to know God and, and leaning on Christ. You think that a person can resolve your sins. And in fact, then you start to pray to saints. I have friends and family members who they pray, they have statues in their houses. One, one young lady I, I went to school with, she had a statue of St. Lazarus in her house. And they pray to St. Lazarus for good luck. When we speak of the blasphemies, this is part of it, is that the focus goes away from Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, and it is moved to where statues, which are idols, and men can, can, um, can deliver you, and then spirits can deliver you. You think about what happened in, in Fatima, Portugal, where the Virgin Mary appeared, and people began to, and people to this day, revere that, loca revere that location. All of this is the blasphemies that are being spoken of. And again, I'm not speaking, I told you, my, I have plenty of Catholic family, I'm not speaking against Catholics as individuals, but as a system, the Bible calls it out. And if we are, if we're going, we're going to believe the Bible all the way through, that means that sometimes we got to talk about these tough chapters. And so the prophecy happens, Revelation 13, 6, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. All the things I was talking about. To blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. In other words, the tabernacle is the sanctuary. All of a sudden, you didn't need the sanctuary in heaven. All you needed was the mass on earth. His tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And that's the 1260 years. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. And look at who worships him. All those whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Let me tell you something, church. I want my name written in the book of life. And your name, the Bible says in multiple places, your name can be blotted out of the book of life. Another false doctrine that is very popular today is the idea that once you're saved, you're always saved. This is not biblical. In fact, in Revelation chapter 3, the uh, apostle uh, John the Revelator says, uh, Jesus speaking through him writes, John writes, be, be careful lest another man take your crown. I challenge you as we deal with these heavy prophecies to remember that what is ultimately at stake, at stake is the uh, salvation of each one of us as an individual. Satan wants to distract us. He wants us caught up in other things. Uh, he, he wants us to think that the heavenly issues are not what's most important. He wants us to, to, to believe that what's going on on earth, who wins the Super Bowl or, or who wins the next election is what's important. I want to challenge you that nothing is more important than what is going on in the great controversy. And if we are not serious about these things, we will be deceived, as you will see. 
In fact, Revelation 3 and verse 5 speaks to this. It says, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Church, we must overcome. That means, huh, that means that even the sins that so easily beset us, we must lay them down at the foot of the cross. We must take on the yoke of Christ and allow him to take our burden. Many of us don't overcome because we're so distracted. Sometimes we're distracted by our own sin. We want to do better, but we spend all our time looking at ourselves and how we failed. And we spend all our energy ruminating our failures and our, and our weaknesses. I want to challenge you today that you overcome when you turn your eyes to Jesus. I don't want my name blotted out of the book of life. Let me tell you, for some of us raised in this truth, we've turned from it. No one will be more miserable on the last day in the lake of fire than those who knew these precious truths and, and decidedly rejected them. So you can compare Daniel 7, with Daniel, with Revelation 13, the, the little horn, which represents the papacy and the beast from the sea. Uh, you see all the different things. He speaks great words against the Most High. Um, Revelation 13, 5, he speaks great things and blasphemy, blasphemies. He made war with the saints, war with the saints, Daniel 7, 21, and was given to him to make war with the saints, Revelation 13, 7. He'll wear out the saints of the Most High, war with the saints, and to overcome them, Revelation 13, 7. Um, and we could go all the way through it. You can see that this, these things tie together. Revelation 13 and verse 9 is a powerful warning to all of us. It says, if any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Now, some say that this means that we are, as Christians, not to violently try and overthrow any system or this particular system. But I also see it as the fact that even though we will go through time of trial and tribulation, in the end, God will have his vengeance. God will lead captive those who have led us captive. We only need Trust him. The prophecy here, after, after John the Revelator gives this warning that if you have an ear to let him hear, it switches from the first beast to the second one. And the second beast, Revelation 13, 11, says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. The first one came up out of the sea, which represents peoples. The second one comes out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Now, interestingly, it doesn't say the beast is a lamb. It says it has two horns like a lamb because lamb, uh, horns represent power and, and the source of power. And then it spake as a dragon, which represents the laws of the nation. Um, so it, it shows you here that there's, there's this beast that would come up that would be kind of dichotomous. On the one hand, it would seem very innocent and young like a lamb compared to all the other nations in the world. It would have to come up at the end of the 1298, uh, the 1260 years in 1798, which the United States did. 1776, we just celebrated the Declaration of Independence on the 4th of July. And over the next 20 years, America really became a republic. So literally right around the time of 1798, America stepped on the scene. And by then, most nations in the world respected her as, a, as an independent sovereign nation. The timing is perfect. And Look at the words 
lamb-like words. Thomas Jefferson said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created what? Created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. The first amendment, the first guarantee the Constitution gives is the freedom of religion. It is the freedom of worship. One of the reasons I believe America is as great as she is is because America gave those freedoms. That called, it was like a it was like a siren call around the world. And people came from all over the world to America. And the, the way that America was governed, along with the freedom she allowed in around religion, allowed America to prosper. So that immigrants came from all over the world. Initially and, and predominantly immigrants came from Europe. But over time, immigrants came from everywhere. Now, America was never perfect. It is a misconception. A lot of folk want to believe America was perfect. America was not perfect. In fact, when Thomas Jefferson wrote these words, he was not speaking to women. Oh, y'all missing this thing. Women couldn't vote for a very long time after this was written. And he clearly and definitely was not speaking to Native Americans or African Americans. America started off a dichotomy, and a lot of people think America's worst days are in front of her, but I would tell you as the descendant of slaves that America's past is also quite shoddy. America was hypocritical, and this hypocrisy ultimately would cause America to suffer. But what we are talking about in Revelation 13 is different than that hypocrisy. Something different, something grander than slavery would happen. Why? Well, this is a, one of the famous pictures from abolitionist movement. Um, am I not a man and a brother? A slave, an enslaved African in chains cries out to America. But it wasn't, if you, if you leave that to say, well, Revelation 13 is speaking to slavery and racial injustice, the problem with that is that is not unique to America. If you look here, there are all the other places, the British, had um, in mainland North America, they had slaves, Barbados, Guyana, the French Windward, St. Dominique, the Spanish-American mainland, the Dutch Caribbean, countries like Brazil, Haiti, the, the current Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, all had slaves. Now, Puerto Rico is part of the United States, but all the other ones are not. And all of them had slaves. Much of South America had slaves. And so when you look at it, it was not unique to the United States. It was a part of the colonial past of the world. And it was a diabolically evil institution. But it was one whose origins and really its, its, its power actually would go back to the very same beast that we talked about first, if I had time to break it down. So this isn't, there's something else that's going to happen with the beast, with the second beast in Revelation 13 that is relevant to us today. So let's, let's read on. Revelation 13 and verse 12. Speaking about this beast that comes up uh, with two horns like a lamb and speaks like a dragon, it first says in verse 12, and he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those, look at this, by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that, that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. This second power, 
which is uh, prophetically only one nation really fits it, and that's the United States of America, will someday make an image to the first beast. That image does not have to be a tangible image. And this is where this message heads, that one day America by law will cause the world to follow that first beast, to worship that first beast. That's a difficult thing as a, someone born and raised in this country who, who, who loves this country. But I want to submit to you that over the last couple of weeks, there's been enough revealed to show you that what we're talking about is not crazy or impossible, as many of our detractors would say. That on a dime, America can change its laws. And what was once legal can quickly become illegal. And some argue privacy and rights can be taken just like that. Here's what the, the um, uh, Bible commentary says. Prophecy here points to the enactment of some religious measure, the observance of which would be regarded as an act of worship. In that the worshiper, by observing it, acknowledges the authority of the first beast in matters of religion. A hint as to the nature of the enactment is found in chapter 14, 9 through 12. The ver these verses contrast the saints with the worshipers of the beast and his image and note that one of the distinguishing characteristics of the saints is the keeping of God's commandments. According to Daniel, the power here represented as the beast was to think to change times and laws. Why do we as Adventists believe, even though we are viewed as crazy to believe it, that a day will come when a religious law will be passed in this country that will um, set up Sunday as the official day of worship and that any other day cannot be uh, so uh, esteemed. It is in the scripture that something about this second beast will change. And what the Bible does is allow you in, in, in chapter 14 of Revelation verse 12 to contrast those who are saved because they do what? They keep the commandments of God. Something, something will happen, be set up, that would try to force you to not keep God's commandments. Now, clearly, m most of those commandments, it would be difficult to force someone to break. But there's one commandment, rather intangible, that speaks to who created the world. Which commandment is that? The fourth. In fact, it is the only commandment that begins, remember. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. When we did the message on the Sabbath, I talked about the fact that the Sabbath is not like the festivals or any of the other days that people kept because the Sabbath existed before sin did. And because of that, the Sabbath will exist after sin exists. And Isaiah says that from one new moon to the next and one from one Sabbath to the next shall all flesh come before me, says the Lord of hosts. Let me tell you that as a Sabbath keeper, this is a powerful place uh, to be, understanding this truth, because there is protection in Sabbath keeping. There's not, the Bible says there's blessing. It says if you keep my Sabbath, Isaiah says, writes, God will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth. There are a lot of folk who are not being blessed because they trample on God's Sabbath. But this point the issue of worship, and ultimately, I believe the issue of what day you worship is what is going to is what where the conflict will end, and that's really what happens. So some say this is crazy, but you got to remember that in our state, Connecticut, 
was one of the triumphant uh, perpetrators of the blue laws, Connecticut and New Haven and the false blue laws. And so they, they had these blue laws. In fact, a mother was disallowed in somebody's laws to kiss her baby on Sunday. You should look them up. They're pretty fascinating. It, 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 it said you could, there's so many things you couldn't do on Sunday in order to protect the sacredness of Sunday. This, this isn't something in the future. This is something that happened already. In fact, there were Adventists, or, or Sabbath keepers, I should say, who were arrested based on some of these laws in the United States. I, didn't, I don't even want to get all into that, but that, that's, that tells you that this, so anyone who says this is inconceivable doesn't understand the way the world works. They're still in effect. You ever been on a, in a grocery store in, in many U.S. states on a Sunday? They come up with a loudspeaker and tell you that, you know, the time to buy alcohol is shorter on a Sunday? There are states where you can't, the whole, all liquor stores are closed on Sunday. There are stores where, there are some states where barely any stores are open on Sunday. And sometimes that's by law. This is not inconceivable. I, I, I pointed out before that one of the, um, when they were looking at voters' registration and voters' rights in Mississippi, one of the um, people in the, in, the, in the Mississippi State Senate or Congress or whatever Mississippi calls their, uh, their house, she said that if they allowed people to vote on Sunday, they would get God mad. You think that this is inconceivable, but let's look at it. So one of the great nations of Europe, Poland, very Catholic. This is the National Catholic Register. And this is an American article writing about what's happening in Poland. It says, taking Sunday seriously, um, Poland leads the way. The European nation, um, uh, new law sharply restricting Sunday shopping provides an opportunity to take a closer look at American habits. This, is, this was published in the last couple of years. That in fact, there are people who think that we ought to pattern Poland's um, a way that they're looking at the Sunday law, the way uh, they do the Sunday law should be done here in the States. And of course, we have other interesting things. We, for the first time in a, since the 1960s, have a Catholic president, Biden. And, you, you, and if you might think, well, he's a liberal, he wouldn't be anything like the Pope. But the truth of the matter is, he gets along seemingly with the Pope quite well, agreeing on many points and subjects. And it is, as you're going to see, it's, it's really frightening because it's not just the White House that um, seems to have a strong allegiance to the Vatican. So let's look at, let's go back in history a little bit. We're talking about the Mark of the Beast and the Sunday Law. This is John F. Kennedy when he became um, president. Um, and I believe the Pope at the uh, Paul was Paul the Sixth, I think his, his name was, and that's him there in the pictures, and John um, Kennedy meeting him. I want to read for you a speech that John F. Kennedy gave to show you where America has come and to show you that prophecy is being fulfilled. John F. Kennedy's speech on religion, September 12, 1960. That is 42 years ago almost. He says, I believe in America, this is John F. Kennedy speaking, I believe in an America where the separation of church and state is absolute, where no Catholic prelate would tell the president, should he be Catholic, how to act, and no Protestant minister would tell his parishioners for whom to vote, where no church or church school is granted any public funds or political preference, and where no man is denied public office merely because his religion differs from the president who might appoint him or the people who might elect him. 
I believe in an America that is officially neither Catholic, Protestant, nor Jewish, where no public official either requests or accepts instructions on public policy from the Pope, the National Council of Churches, or any other ecclesiastical source, where no religious body seeks to impose its will directly or indirectly upon the general populace or the public acts of, of its officials, and where religious, look at this, and where religious liberty is so indivisible that an act against one church is treated as an act against all. That is not the climate of America today. You want to know that the, the wound of the beast has been healed. You just got it. In fact, one of, if you continue reading on in that speech, John F. Kennedy was against us having an ambassador to the Vatican. So what has changed? Everything. In fact, we saw it this week, or the week before last, when they overturned Roe v. Wade. And obviously, as Christians, we have our, our, our view on abortion. But there is a lot to be said that the, that the Supreme Court overstepped its, its, its really what it was supposed to do in this case, as what was before it was a 15-week ban from the state of Mississippi, that really that's what the court's supposed to do. It's shoot up or uphold the law or shoot down the law, one of the two. Instead, it went over that and, and got rid of Roe v. Wade all the way. Now, a lot of people celebrated, and you can see, um, you know, this picture people are celebrating. But it speaks to the fact that laws can change quickly. In fact, my entire life, Roe v. Wade has been on the books or, or been in effect. And in a moment, it changed. And many view it as the government now trying to tell people how to live morally. Now, as Christians, you may say, well, I agree with this. The challenge for the Adventist is that you're caught in a catch-22. On the one hand, you may agree with the principle of the law, but you are challenged by the fact that it is the government that is doing it and not the hearts of the people being changed. You see, laws without changed hearts are problematic. And get, obviously, we have to have laws. But one of the reasons we don't have more, we, well, I want to say the reason we don't have more murders, as many as we have in this country, is hopefully because most people understand that committing murder is wrong. And the law just supports that. We are moving to a time where it's going to be decided for us what is right and what is wrong. And in this case, we can easily side. We might be able to say, I totally side with it. But the challenge for the Adventists who understand you are in the religious minority is, what happens when the law passed everyone else agrees with but us? This, my friends, is the mark of the beast. It is the conviction that you can tell other people how to live and by doing so, force them to live in a way contrary to how God wants to live. And I'm not talking about this issue of Roe v. Wade. I'm talking about what's in front of us. And you want to know how that can happen? Well, the Wall Street Journal, a conservative paper in general, for those of you who read lots of papers like I do, this is, the, this is an article they put out. Is the Supreme Court too Catholic? And it's interesting because we now know that the, the Catholics, even Sonia uh, Sotomayor, she's Catholic, she may not vote with the, the conservatives, but the truth of the matter is that the court, I think it's seven to two, six to three or seven to two Catholic, it is majority Catholic. And you can see that quickly as we as the as the court switched even deeper into being a Catholic court with the 
recent um, last two or three justices that came on, quickly the laws began to change in a frightening way. One of the laws that people didn't pay attention to is the way that the Supreme Court dealt with the law around the Miranda Act and reading your Miranda rights. I mean, there are things that are being chipped away at that many of us aren't even paying attention to. And the world is changing so fast that someone would feel comfortable saying this. I want you to see this one. This is the Colorado Republican, um, Bobert, says she is tired of the separation of church and state and says the church should direct the government. Now, I hope, I, I, I mean, again, we just went through the prophecies that the world is going to change. Here is an elected official in the United States saying the complete antithesis to what John F. Kennedy said when he was uh, running for office in 1960, that the church should direct the government. Let me ask you, 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 you church, which church is going to do that? You think, you think Seventh-day Adventists are going to be the ones telling the government what to do? You think a little black church on the corner down in Hartford is going to tell the government what to do? It is going to be the church with the most political power. I've already told you that the Supreme Court majority is, is Catholic and that the Congress is at least a third Catholic and the White House is Catholic. Biden is a, a professed Catholic. If, the, if, 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 if this was to come to pass, and again, it, you might say this is crazy, nobody would have allowed this to happen. You would have said six weeks ago, there's no way Roe v. Wade would be overturned. Look at what Clarence Thomas said. Catholic on the court. He says, same-sex marriage and contraception should be next on the chopping block. So yeah, you may as a Christian say, well, I, I support this happening. The problem is, where does the chopping block stop? If you're willing to now begin to say, all right, we're going to legislate America's morality, which you can never legislate morality. Either people's hearts are one to Christ or they're not. If you think you can just somehow pass a law and everybody's going to behave right, that's not going to work. We That's why the prohibition of alcohol failed. People start moonshining. And what has happened? We are I, I, A few weeks back, I told you how divided this country was in one of the previous sermons. The, if the country was divided in January, it is, it is fissured and fractured in July. People are ready to go to war with each other, armed People are protesting the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and armed anti-protesters are showing up now. America almost seems like it is on the brink of a physical civil war to match its ideologic civil war. And when, um, if you want to rule, if you want to control something, uh, as, as, as many of the colonial powers did, they would divide and then conquer. And if you want to see the direction going, you can start to see that that's exactly what this is Vatican news. Look at what they say. It's time to heal wounds in the United States. This article is a couple years old. Time to heal wounds. Because he who heals the wounds gets the credit, gets the influence. And this is where the country going. I'm telling you, it's, again, not an easy sermon to preach. But I'm telling you that if we are not living with our eyes open, this is why the scripture tells us to not be deceived. This is why it says to be sober, to be vigilant, to watch unto prayer. Look at this. This is a book, Bipolar Winner. Author Samuel David Steiner releases Bipolar Winner, a fiction novel based on historical facts. Um, Samuel David uh, writing Bipolar Winner, um, 
He says, I can't read it that well, it's so tiny. Um, has always, he's always been uh, intrigued with history uh, and done extensive research in the area of religion. Bipolar Winner was released in uh, July 2nd of 2020. Let me, I'll show you what, I, what interests me. We're going to jump to a description of the guy who wrote it. Historian Aldo Lombardi is a recent graduate of the Pontifican Gregorian University, summoned to appear before Pope Benedict. Alison Galepsi is an investigator whose assignment leads her to Aldo and a 500-year, this is the description of the book, sorry, this, this fiction book, and a 500-year-old secret whose discovery may unravel the very fabric of the Christian faith. Watch this. The pair must uncover the truth behind the secret and reveal what the leaders of the modern Seventh-day Adventist church know that could destroy the Catholic church. It's a race against time to discover the truth before hundreds of millions of followers are thrown into chaos and before a rogue sect unleashes a global cataclysm to fulfill its founder's doomsday prophecy. Did you see that? This is a fiction, a, a work of fiction based on historical facts where Seventh-day Adventists are the ones that are the threat. Now, I don't know, there was a there was a movie that came on, I think it was on Amazon Prime, I forget the name of it, it was Tomorrow War or Tomorrow Soldier, something like that. And they time traveled into the future to fight. Some of y'all remember that. It just came out like during the pandemic. And the, and the aliens that they were fighting kept the Sabbath. The, the aliens, they said, oh, the aliens, oh, you, we got to wait every seventh day. The aliens rest. And they said, yeah, we call it their Sabbath. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me the people keep, the ones keeping the Sabbath are who the whole movie's trying to kill? Let me tell you something, church. The way we're viewed, the way Christianity, see, as they make Christianity itself look like it's madness, as they make Christianity itself look uh, like fanciful and, and anyone who would believe in a resurrection or a virgin birth or the world being created by a God who could speak the world into existence, as they make you look foolish and ridicule you for that, imagine what happens when the test is as simple as a day of the week. And that's coming from both sides. Here the Pope says, listen, Pope, uh, Pope Francis, I urgently appeal for a new dialogue about how we are shaping the future of our planet. We need to fix the climate. And this has become a, a big thing. Now, the scripture tells us the climate's going to change. But look at what they say. Here's how they say you solve climate problems. Well, the Christian Science Monitor says, give Earth a Sabbath day. If we all reduce our driving, shopping, and business by one-seventh, we'd pollute that much less. So there are some saying, well, what we need to do is make a day of rest for everyone to protect the environment. Now, do you see what's starting to happen? On the one hand, you look at Poland, who says, you know, they, they have a Sunday day of rest. Um, you know, they limit shopping and so forth because they want people to have family time. They want people to fellowship. They want people to make it to mass. So Sunday is a day that is light in terms of business. Then you got the other side, and that would be like a conservative side, but you got the other side saying, listen, maybe we should have a Sunday Sabbath so that we can rest the earth and protect it from destruction. So that both sides of the political spectrum can find something to agree on. Remember, when, we mentioned when the Pope was in Congress, he spoke and everybody stood up and applauded. Who can heal the wound? The rift that happens in America. The threat to the environment. Hartford Current is our local newspaper. Fresh talk. The earth needs a green Sabbath. But if the earth gets a green Sabbath, what day of the week is it going to be? It's probably not going to be Saturday or, or the seventh day. 
How would they do this? Well, we talked about this before. There'd be three things. Spiritualism, apostate Protestantism, and of course, as we've been talking about, papal Rome. I'll go through this quickly. Matthew 24, 24 tells us that in order for this to happen, there will be a spiritual component. But there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. A time of spiritual, and I didn't put this in, but when I look at the movies, Marvel movies, they've, and I look at even DC movies and, and much of the TV program, they've all swung towards magic. The Doctor Strange in this multiverse, Scarlet Witches, you got all of, it's, it's witchcraft and, and, and sorcery, right? The dark world, people coming back from the dead. That's Hollywood's big thing. As the world begins to believe this stuff and buy into this stuff and their brains are inundated with stuff, especially since the frontal lobe of the people of this world is being washed away by alcohol and marijuana and, and bad food and, and lack of sleep. The ability to make sound decisions as you are influenced by these things. I've met people who don't believe in God, but believe in aliens. I had one dude tell me God didn't create the world. The aliens populated the world. I said, the aliens might have populated your family. No, aliens populate mine. We came to this country legally. Somebody got that. What I'm trying to tell you is that they, the minds are being molded. And there will be supernatural occurrences. And when they begin to happen, and I believe they already are beginning to happen. I, I talked to you before about the UFO sightings and the fact that the Biden administration has released all of this information on UFOs. And as they release all of this information on UFOs, people are starting to believe, yes, there is extraterrestrial life here. Except when you talk to the physicists. The physicists say there's no possible way that as far away as the nearest stars are, that any physics we know could get you here. So then they say, well, it's not really travel through t uh, space, it's travel through dimensions. If you go back, I should have put the lyrics up to Katy Perry's song, E.T., where she talks about the alien from a different dimension. And in the video, he's half, he's Baphomet, he's half, his lower part is hoofed, uh, the legs of a goat, and the upper part is a man, and he plays an instrument like, like the god Pan, he's Baphomet, literally, and he's the one from another dimension. It is literally Satan who comes, and he's an albino uh, a, a black person, so he's like a, it's like a weird mix of voodoo and, and, and aliens and and our kids, many of our kids, they have not been taught the word of God. And I don't mean our kids. I mean like the kids of this generation. They don't know truth. They don't know the word. And when these things are presented to them, they grasp onto it. And when the time of deception comes and Satan appears as an angel of light, they will have no defense. Because they've been watching it for so long on TV. In fact, 2, Timothy chapter, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9 says it like this. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Watch this. Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. There's a whole lot of folk, they, have, they, they, you know, they love church, but they don't necessarily love the truth. You've got to have a love of the truth, which means you go digging for it, searching for it. Like the parable of the field, there's a treasure in the field. The man goes and sells everything he has and buys the field to get the treasure. The word of God is the treasure. 
Revelation 16, 13, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Jesus then says, after he talks about this, he says, behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. When Jesus talks about, when, when Revel, John in the, Revel, in the book of Revelation chapter 16 talks about these deceptions, the next thing he talks about is the nearness of Christ's return. I want to submit to you, and maybe I'll do a whole message on just this UFO phenomena. It is profound. And it defies logic. There's no, some of the stuff, I mean, unless, I don't know, it just, it, it, at some point, somewhere you start thinking, maybe this really is some supernatural. Except we know there's no people coming from another world. The people on the other worlds don't want to visit us. They got a sin-free world. Trees of life. They're not coming here to get bit by mosquitoes and stuff. Only thing visiting us fell from heaven in Revelation chapter 12. A third part of the stars fell. And these are the fallen angels. They are visiting this planet. And I believe it's the beginning of this supernatural thing, awakeness. I may have to just do a message just on that so people get that, that we are that deep into these prophecies. Time Magazine back in the 1970s had this cover, the occult revival. The occult revival has happened with, with, with uh, books like Harry Potter and shows like Charmed and I always talk about the TV show Lucifer. All these things, it has already happened. The fastest growing religion among young people in America today is Wicca and witchcraft. Black churches, which is the bedrock of Christianity in America, are now watching more and more of, its, of their attendants leave the church to become caught up in uh, Egyptology and, and metaphysics and African animist ancestor worship and, and moving away from Christianity, saying that Christianity is a white man's religion when yet the oldest churches in the world are in Africa. Deception. There's also apostate Protestantism. This idea that we are going to control, like that, that lady said, we want the church to direct the government. No, we don't. I don't want that. I'd rather we just left everybody alone and everyone can make up for their own mind what they want to believe. Because if the government gets involved, somebody's going to have control of the government, and that means that the, just what the founding fathers of this nation were trying to set up in the Constitution to avoid would happen, and it is happening of course, there's papal Rome as well. A new Sabbath. The Pope calls for a Sabbath for the earth and for the poor. Revelation 13, 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast uh, should be killed. And that would be that Sunday law. It will be the image to the beast. We talked about on when we did the Sabbath how the, the, it's the Catholic Church that changed the day and claims power for changing that day. If you force the observance of that day, who are you giving power to? And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. 
doesn't matter who you are, you're going to be marked unless your name's written in the Lamb Book of Life. You're going to get this mark. And if you get this mark, you get it one of two places. Either you get it in your forehead because you willfully go along with what the world is doing, or you get it in your hand because you're a follow fashion and out of convenience, rather than lose your job and your livelihood and your, and your, and your, and your luxuries, you'll follow the rest of the world. Like all, we always talk about the three Hebrew boys. You ever thought about all the other Hebrews behind them that bowed? And that no man might buy or sell. Save he had that, had that, save he had that, had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. In some um, translations, the oars are taken out. He had the, he had the mark, the name of the beast, the number of his name. You know what goes in the forehead? The name of the beast. You know what name represents in the Bible? Character. That's why when we talk about the seal of the living God that goes in the forehead, the seal of the living God goes in the forehead. Later on, it says, in Revelation, it says that God writes his name in the saint's forehead. It is to have the character. At the end, you will either have one of two characters. And if you have a character that says, I'm not going to make up my mind, I'm just going to follow what everyone else is doing, then you still have that character. But here is wisdom. But him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. What is the number of a man? His number is six hundred, three score, and six. We could get into the number, but I want to say this instead. What we're looking at is human organization that will control the world and people will follow. There is a mark of the beast. It is to submit to Satan and allow him to take control. And when the laws are passed, that will show up in the fact that instead of being true to the Ten Commandments, you will follow a false day of worship, a false commandment. Revelation 15, verse 2. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. I want to end here because I want you to know that you can overcome. I like what it says. We, you stand on a sea of glass mingled with fire. You see, some people trying to avoid the fires of hell. Let me tell you something. I want to stand on a sea of glass mingled with fire because those have gotten the victory over all of the devil's assaults, over all of his attacks, over all of his trials. You've gotten victory over it because you learned to trust God first, last, and most. You gain victory over the image because you know what the Bible teaches. So you don't get, you don't bow to the image. You don't receive the mark. You don't follow his name or take his number. You stand on the sea of glass and his harps in your hand. Why? Because just the way you got through it was by worshiping God as he commands in spirit and in truth, keeping holy, not just the fourth commandment, but being committed to keeping the commandments of the living God, all 10 of them. When you get to heaven, you'll still be worshiping him, except you're going to get an upgrade. You're going to hand you a harp. You couldn't sing on earth, you're going to be able to sing in heaven. You couldn't play nothing on earth. I can't play nothing. I, I can't bang a, 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 a tambourine straight. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to play a harp and I'm going to sing. 
And I'm going to sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. I'm going to sing of how God got me over. When I look back on the trials of my life, I'm going to be able to say uh, in conclusion and, and, and definitively that God was always with me. And whatever trials and, tr and struggles I went through on earth, when I get to glory, all of them will have been worth the problems. Nothing I've gone through on earth will seem like it was large. When I stand on a sea of glass, when I'm able to walk up to King David and shake his hand, when I'm able to see Paul and ask him what it was like to crash that ship on that little island, when I'm able to go up to Moses and ask him how did he keep his patience dealing with those crazy children of Israel, I'm able to ask Daniel, how was it being dropped into a lion's den? Ah, but most importantly, church, I'll be able to walk up to Jesus. I'll be able to ask him what kept him on the cross. And I love it because Jesus will be able to just hold out his hands. I will see the nail prints in him. I'll be able to, like Thomas, put my finger in it. I'll be able to put my finger in his side, in the hole in his side, because he will leave those marks to remind us throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity of the sacrifice he made on Calvary. And when you ask him, why did he go to the cross? Why did he stay there? He'll be able to say, because of the love I had for you. Whatever you're going through, don't be deceived. Jesus has you. No reason for an earthly intermediate. He is your mediator. He is working on our behalf. And most importantly, church, he is soon to return. Lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring. Jesus is coming again. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study a word. I pray, Father God, that you would just help us each to take the truths of the Bible seriously. They're not always easy, Lord, and they're definitely not convenient. But Father God, we want to serve you in spirit and in truth. You say in your word in Ephesians chapter 6, the sword is the word of God. Lord, we do not want to be without an offensive weapon against the enemy. Help us to love studying your word, to love your truth. But Lord, as we fall in love with it, we fall deeper and deeper in love with you. Help us, Father God, to be ready, to get our families ready. And Lord, we will be able to stand in that last day. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org